Cancer journey is unique for everyone. It is time to figure out our new normal and there's no one size fits all manual. Welcome to the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 17 of the Cancer Cliff Notes. I'm Jen Cochran. My guest this week is Charlotte Schaff. She is a work-at-home mom and public relations business owner from Phoenix, Arizona. She's the mother of two boys and the wife of a physician's assistant. She and her husband are Arizona Cardinals season ticket holders and devotees of weekly date nights. Charlotte is heavily involved in her children's school PTO and serves on a nonprofit board which focuses on love-up moments for foster children. In 2018, with the gentle nagging of her husband, she got the mammogram she'd been putting off. Soon, after a whirlwind of shock and going public with her experience, she did an Angelina Jolie and had a bilateral mastectomy, reconstruction, and then a hysterectomy. She was stage 2A. She now works through the fatigue and aches and challenges of being a survivor by taking life a little easier, but also sharing her ups and downs with others through social media. Her hope is to inspire others by being positive and open about what happens after breast cancer. Welcome, Charlotte. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about Charlotte's journey with breast cancer, a somewhat unexpected journey, as I think most of us have a somewhat unexpected journey. Charlotte, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to discover your breast cancer? Yes, I discovered about a year ago with the prodding of my husband. And that actually is the part that I've always tried to share with a lot of people is that when your doctors give you an order for something to have be done, then you should get it done. I had always just shoved the orders from my doctor to get a mammogram into a file folder in my office. And I had three years worth of mammogram orders that were just sitting in there. And my husband came upon him one day. He said to me, Charlotte, you know, doctors do give you an order for a reason. You're supposed to get your mammogram. And I said, eh, I don't have any breast cancer in my family. I don't feel anything. I'm totally fine. A couple days later, I came into my office and he had all three orders sitting on my desk with just a sticky note that said, I love you. And I thought, okay, fine. I'll go to the doctor. So I went and got my mammogram. And within an hour, I got a call back from the office saying, we need you to come back in for some further testing. And I wasn't too alarmed, but when I came in and had my biopsies, the radiologist told me that she would be surprised if she didn't find cancer. And I was kind of thrown off right then and there because I thought, okay, this isn't a joke. This isn't just, eh, we see something. I went through a process of finding a good breast cancer doctor. I shared my story on social media with my friends and family because I didn't want to have people feel sorry for me. I felt like if I was this surprised and blown away, I felt like this needs to be a PSA to my friends. If someone tells you you need to get your mammogram, you should get it. So in that process, I had a lot of friends reach out to me, many who I did didn't even know had either gone through breast cancer or had someone close to them and went through it. And through that process, I decided that after I found out I had three tumors, should I get a mastectomy? Should I get a lumpectomy? Or should I do the bilateral? The lumpectomy just wasn't going to work because of the amount of tumors I had. After talking to many women who had already been through it, who just had a mastectomy, said that they either live the rest of their days worrying that it's going to come back. Some of them, it did come back. I decided then and there, okay, I'm getting them, I'm getting them both out. I also chose to do reconstruction. My surgery was on June 6th of 2018. I had a bilateral 
mastectomy with reconstruction. The doctor called me afterwards and said everything went well and she did see some positive tissue matter. So I needed to get radiation. So after I was healed up a bit, I had 33 radiation treatments in September and October. I decided I might as well get out all the lady parts that may be killing me. After talking to a fantastic gynecology oncologist, I got a hysterectomy with the uterus and the ovaries removed in November. Now I'm in 2019, definitely going through hot flashes. After my radiation treatments, I had the tumor in my right breast. After my radiation, I've got a lot of hardened tissue matter under my breast area. So for a while, I went and got some physical therapy, which is something I never knew that you could get. And it helped out immensely because I was starting to get frozen shoulder, which is something a lot of people don't know about when you get breast cancer. And so I saw a physical therapist who specialized in breast cancer recovery. It was heaven. I look forward to it so much because you lay there for a half an hour and she basically massages your boob. And it feels so good because that hardened tissue matter is not fun. And it still to this day bothers me. I've started going to acupuncture. I'm trying to do more stretches every day, but eventually I'm going to have to see my plastic surgeon and have that breast redone, I guess you could say. They're going to have to get rid of some areas. I can't remember the medical speak for it. It's just really hard in tissue matter. So if basically, if you, if you looked at me naked, you can see that there's a significant difference. With my clothes on, nobody really notices it. It's basically something I, I really want to get done. So that's kind of my story. Does that area cause you discomfort? Yeah. Yes. Like right now when I'm talking, if I move around too much, I can feel it. It it aches. I can't really sleep on that side because after a while it hurts and my frozen shoulder has started to come back again. I'm just trying everything I can to not have serious frozen shoulder. Yeah. It's really important to work on the range of motion and the continual movement. I had axillary web syndrome. So I had cording down my arm and in my ribs. Oh, wow. And I'm a massage therapist and a lymphedema therapist. I do a lot of work on myself. Oh, yeah. I hear really commonly people say they feel the weather coming or they have shooting pain and they don't know why. And then I'll ask, do you keep a journal of when it bothers you? Like try to keep a journal and map it to weather or significant temperature changes or, and they start to see the correlations because we've, it's really close to our ribs, right? So any scar tissue close to bone Mm -hmm. tends to be more expressive. Interesting. I'll have to journal that then because I was just complaining this weekend that I've, I've had shooting pains and it's, oh, it bugs me. And I'll hear people say, I'm three years out, I'm four years out, why am I still having this? And and I do think that there's a lot of correlation to scar tissue. I had a port from chemo and the way that the port goes in, like it's near your clavicle, it's near the rib cage. I had discomfort from that. Scar tissue is a really interesting thing. I'd like to circle back to where you talk about being really open in your sharing. I, I was very similar. I work with clients in person and I do a lot of things in the community. So I had networking groups. I had places that I was regularly and I knew I was going to have to step away for a brief time. It was fairly brief. My implants are over my muscle. I was in really great shape. 
my diagnosis was also a bit of a shock like yours. I had the best physical of my life and two days later had a mammogram that sent me down this path. Right. But in sharing with people, it was a really interesting sociological experiment. It was, absolutely. I agree. I would say that opening up about it made it a little less scary for me and for people who were worried for me because I had some friends that I had called ahead of time before I announced it because I know, you know, not everybody loves to hear the news on social media first. I had one friend who was crying, like sobbing. To me, it didn't feel like a death sentence or anything like that because I knew that this wasn't dire straits. We had caught it early enough, that kind of stuff. I also knew that even in my head, I I immediately thought, oh crap, I've got breast cancer. That means I'm going to be bald. I'm going to have no boobs and I'm going to be one of those women in the pink shirts kind of stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just felt like it's not as scary sometimes as people think it is. They have made strides, which is a great thing. And being open made a lot of people sit there and say, you know what? I guess I should go get my mammogram. And I've had friends text me photos or post on social media and tag me and say, I'm getting my mammogram. Thanks for the reminder, Charlotte. I mean, that makes me feel awesome that somebody else did it because they were touched by what I had shared and they knew that they needed to check it out too. After my surgery, I was pretty open about the elements of the drains, which I had no idea about. I didn't know anything about drains. And so I talked about, I even shot a photo about, I think it was like two or three days out. And my girlfriend came over to wash my hair and she was drying it for me. And at the same time, my husband came in to do my drains for me because I didn't like doing it. And my husband's a PA and he's used to it and it's not a big deal to him. And I knew he'd do it right. I was sitting there in front of the mirror and I had my phone with me and I had to take a photo and share it on social media. Getting your hair washed after your surgery (laughs) is amazing. I wanted to share the reality of the surgery. Absolutely. The drains were an unexpected part for me as well. And my husband is not a PA, but he was so good. good. It was so good about helping me because the first few days, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to kind of manage everything. You're like an octopus. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a pain ball as well. I don't know if you had this. It's like a ball that's full of anesthetic. Oh, wow. Two wires that they lay in and they drip anesthetic into the area. For like four days. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you have almost no pain. Yeah. By the time that starts to wear off, your pain is ramping down anyway. Mm -hmm. So like I didn't need any pain medication, but it's a third thing. Oh, yeah. I had that on a hook around my neck that was hanging there and it's pretty heavy, especially Mm -hmm. when it's full. You can actually see it shrinking. Oh, wow. Is doing its thing. And it's amazing. And I recommend it if you have the option. It was just something my plastic surgeon did. But you've got that. Then you have the drain on each side. Some people have even more drains than that. I was fortunate. I only had one drain on each side. Yeah, I only had one drain on each side also. After about three or four days, I started walking like loops just Mm-hmm. inside my house I was just walking around to try to get those drains to finish up what they were doing so that I could have them out as quickly as possible <laughs> yep yeah I couldn't wait when I went to the surgeon and he finally took them out I was like oh my god hallelujah 
I wanted to post that on social media too. The assistant did it and I just, John looked at me and was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> I don't think she's going to like that she's on social media doing this. So, And I think it's really important to share because I also was very much that advocate of, look, I was in the best health and I didn't feel anything either. Mm -hmm. And my doctor didn't feel anything when I was in for my physical just a couple yeah. days before the mammogram. I mean, she was basically like, here's an order. See in a year. Three weeks later, she was like, I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. She was as blindsided by it as I think we were. Yeah, I have Hashimoto's. So I get my blood drawn a lot and they always check the blood. But I, I always thought that they would see cancer in my blood. I didn't know that you don't see cancer in your blood. So that was another thing that I, I wasn't aware of. Yeah, breast cancer specifically has to be metastatic stage four before they can actually see it in the blood. Yeah, so it's good that we found it before that because if it was that far along, that could have been pretty bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. It's, it's quite an interesting journey. And the thing I found so interesting in sharing my story with people, and I was very much like you, like I just intuitively knew that this was not a death sentence. This was just a thing that I had to do. Right. I was very clear about that. And I found it very interesting. As I shared that news, I, the response I received was really about the person who was receiving the news and not really about my diagnosis at all. It was about whatever experience they had had. Mm -hmm. If they knew people who had had a diagnosis and done the thing and were really doing well and were on the other side of it, their response was more positive. And if they had the opposite where they had lost someone, their response was not as good. I had shared off air about my mom's journey earlier this year, and she had to tell a couple people that she was having a, a surgery. And she called me and was like, I, I don't understand. I'm fine. I just have to have this little surgery. I was like, yeah, it's not about you. Right. So what do you mean? I'm the one having the surgery. Why is everyone so upset? <laughs> and I said, because it's upsetting them. Like, yeah. Everything about it is upsetting for them. I had shared it with people directly, like in person, and then I was later and sharing it on my social media and sharing it kind of to my tribe. And I had shared it in an email many weeks after my surgery. I was really on the other side of my surgery. I was going to start chemo. And I sent an email that was entitled, I have cancer, which was the only time I actually ever said I have cancer. No one told me I had cancer, but it's, it's a very interesting process, the sharing piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say that I also kind of found out who some of my friends were through the process too. And some people that I didn't realize really cared about me more than <laughs> I thought that they did. They really wanted to help me out and reach out. I also know that there are some people who are scared to talk about it. And so for me, I felt like the more open I was, I would hope that that would encourage them to feel free to reach out to me if they wanted to about it. But I guess it's kind of like, you know, when someone passes away, some people don't necessarily know what to say to someone. I heard all the same phrases. I'm so sorry if there's anything I can do. I'll help you out, you know, that kind of stuff. But then people didn't go out to help me. And I didn't know what to tell them either because I was going through this and I had no idea what to expect. And then after I went through it, a lot of people would say to me, you look so good. I know that they meant nothing bad by it. The challenge was underneath my clothes and how I felt inside. I didn't feel so good at all. I don't know what to say to people because then people would say, well, you look so good. 
And I felt like I had to immediately let them know, well, I'm tired or this aches or that kind of thing, just so I would almost want to justify that I had cancer because it wasn't the cancer that I think some people envision in their head of somebody with no hair and looking sickly and hooked up to chemo. That wasn't me. Cancer doesn't always look the same as what we think it looks like. Absolutely. And there's definitely this trend of we go through the treatment and then people think, oh, treatment's over. We're good. Right. We're better. And the reality is, is that we're really not in that place. Like we're good. Yeah. We did the thing, but how our body feels, how our body reacts, how we are mentally It's a really interesting journey. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about other challenges that came up along the way and some lessons learned. We'll be right back. Enjoying the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast? Come on over to the Facebook group where you can join the community and participate in the conversation during the week. I hope to see you there. Now back to the show. We're back. I'm here with Charlotte and we're talking about her breast cancer journey. One of the challenges that I find as we start down this path is often we don't have a lot of information. Our doctors, they tell us an option, but they don't always provide the guidance of recommendations. They kind of just put the options out there. Here's the do. They do. And they don't tell you, they don't tell you what you have to do. I kind of sometimes wanted them to say to me, I think you should have this done. My husband's a PA, so he knew a lot of people in the medical profession. And then with me being so open to my journey, I had a lot of people reach out to me. And so the reason why I chose the bilateral mastectomy, even though my surgeon didn't necessarily push for it, was because when I spoke to women who had been through it and just had the mastectomy, they said they either feared for it to come back and they wished they had had a bilateral or it did come back. And so for me, I thought, well, heck, if it it showed up in one boob and I didn't expect it to happen, I didn't have any chances of a cancer, then how, why would I not want to get the other one out? I basically said, you know, I'm doing the Angelina Jolie. We're getting them we're getting them both out and we're getting them redone. Beginning, I thought, you know, it's kind of like a upgrade on my boobs and everything. And you strongly quickly realize after it's done, this does not mean that you're getting fantastic new breasts. I mean, you're going to come with some complications. I have no nipples right now, and I'm currently still healing up because of the scar tissue. I'm going to have to have the one breast. I don't want to say redone, but surgery is done to it so we can get rid of that tissue matter and make it look a little bit more like my other one, which really does look fantastic minus a, a nipple. And then after that's done, then I'm going to have probably nipple tattoos because I don't think I want to do the thing where they, they reconstruct your skin to make it look like a nipple. I just, I, I love not having to wear a bra if I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. And I got to tell you, I have one and not the other. Oh, geez. Because I had skin sparing and yeah. then I had an unclear margin and my tumors were just below the nipple. So I had a very small, unclear margin. So it had to come off. And I got to tell you, like, it's just overrated. I know. I know. <laughs> There's days where I'm like, why didn't they just take the other one off? I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm good with no boob or no uh, nipples. 
Yeah, because so. even though there's no sensation, like it still responds to cold. Oh yeah, yeah it does. Like, really? Why? <laughs> yeah, and that that is something that I didn't know after my surgery is that I would be so numb and that the numbness stays for a while. That's pretty freaky. I still have times where I like touch the sides of my um, chest and I can't feel anything. Yeah, the nerve sensation is really interesting. At about eight weeks out from surgery, I started having this buzzing. Mm. Like the nerves were buzzing. It was almost distracting because I could feel this constant buzzing and it's almost like the other people know this like right, what right. is happening mine were itching I had like that crazy itch where I knew that I couldn't get to it but I wanted to itch it so bad and it wasn't it wasn't a topical itch it was it was your nerves coming back and oh my god that used to drive me crazy and the nerve regeneration is just such a crazy process. And I remember going into my surgeon's office and saying, when does the buzzing stop? And she yeah. looked at me and said, buzzing? I said, yeah, it's like they're buzzing, like bees, like buzzing. She's just started laughing, giggling <laughs> like a little girl. And she was like, that's so awesome. Your nerves are regenerating so fast. <laughs> and I was like, no, not awesome. Weird. Feels weird. weird. Unknown. <laughs> Yep, totally. Just another one of those weird things that no one kind of prepares you for. No, they do not. And I will say, you know, three years out, I do still have scar tissue and that likes to alert me to when it's going to rain. Oh, man. I don't think I have that. I feel like I need to journal when I feel these weird feelings. This weekend, it's been very like shooting pains, which is odd. I get that as well sometimes. And it is, it's very strange and a little shaking it's kind of like oh what is that why is that happening yeah I know because they always the oncologist always says if you feel anything weird you know even if it's nothing just let us know and so I'm like well is this really anything you know am I supposed to call him about it that's a great segue actually because you alluded to this earlier about when we come out of on the other side of treatment so for you it was radiation for me it was chemo and Herceptin, and I had Herceptin for a year. So during that time, I was in the doctor's office once a week, getting my blood work done. Someone was checking in on what was going on. Mm -hmm. And then I finished my Herceptin treatment. Then it was like, well, we'll see you in three months. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting time because when you're in treatment, there's a lot of people. You know, right. their people are checking in there. For me, I did lose my hair. But it's really an interesting time because I was really certain my yeah. chemo was a three-week cycle. Week one, I was tired. Week two, I was less tired. Week three, I felt normal. Right. Well, of course, normal is it's different. Yes. Every time, but it feels normal. Normal. Yep. I was quite certain that after my last chemo treatment, week four, I was going to be good to go. Right. Yep. And my husband was like, excuse me? Oh. Are you kidding me? And I was like, well, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. I know. I thought, I thought when you're done with it and you see those people who post, they're like, I'm done with radiation and I'm done, you know, that everything's good. And that's just the, that's just the beginning. It, it's the mental element of it that I'm so surprised by because I had a hysterectomy where I had my uterus and my ovaries taken out. So I was put into surgical menopause 
and then I take aromatase inhibitors, which was suggested by my oncologist. I have no hormones in my body. I have no estrogen or progesterone because that's what was feeding my cancer. I mean, I'm, I'm basically on the verge of depression, ache all the time. And mentally, just since the beginning of 2019, I've had three different friends pass away from different cancers, not breast cancer, but to see all of them pass away and they all had families. And then I think, well, I'm, why was I being silly to make anybody notice me when these people, they passed away. They have children who now are dealing with a parent that died of cancer. I felt serious. I still feel serious survivor's guilt a lot. Sometimes I feel bad talking about it because I thought for a while there it was my mission to like get people to get a mammogram and now why am I alive and these other people are without their parent. It's a depressing time now because I'm not saying that I want attention from people but I don't think people realize the mental strain that it has on to you afterwards. The medications that you take or you don't take, I just feel totally different now. A lot of people say, you know, you should feel lucky because this is your journey. A lot of people say it's your journey and you should be thankful for what's happening to you. It's easy to say. It still makes me feel guilty. You know, the Catholic guilt is kicking in big time for me right now. That's something that nobody talks to you about. And the fact that even though you look okay on the outside, you don't feel so hot on the inside. And people say, oh, you know, you look really good. And, you know, I had I had reconstruction, so nobody can tell that I have two different lops side boobs right now. I sometimes want to like whip off my shirt and show people what it looks like because I look like Frank and Barbie. Like I'm Frankenstein Barbie. No nipples. I've got the scars. I've got these uh, a round softball looking size boob and one that looks like a nice boob. And it's the stuff that you see in the mirror that other people don't see in the mirror after you have all this stuff done. It's also how you feel, the fatigue and the depression. Yeah. One of the side effects of so many of the aromatase inhibitors and the tomorrow one of the side effects is depression. And I really have questioned, is it really a side effect of the medication or is it a side effect of all the things that are happening to us because of this medication? Mm -hmm. And then we're reporting that we're depressed because we have body pain and brain fog. The brain fog that I had from tamoxifen was crushing. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I necessarily have like brain fog, but my husband and my boys joke with me all the time because I ask the same question over and over again. And I, and I'll be like, I don't, I honestly don't remember that conversation. I don't remember that I asked that. They'll look at me and they'll go, mommy, you just asked us that. It drives me crazy. And it's hard to explain like the fatigue because I know that I should be exercising. I know that exercise is going to help me because right now I, I have a higher chance of osteoporosis. And so I should be exercising. I know darn well that exercise is going to make me feel well and it's going to help with my aching joints. To me, it's like I am tired. And if I get a chance to lay down, I want to lay down because I'm tired. I run my own business. I have two active boys. I'm active in, you know, nonprofits and my kids' school. At the end of the day, I just want to relax. And it's hard to push myself to do that thing that's supposed to help me, which is exercise. I have talked about this as well in my own journey. There was a point where my weight was just in a free climb. Oh God, my weight. Ugh. And I was exercising. I was running in the span of a month. I had run half marathon. That was a trail race at the beginning or the end of 
April. And at the end of May, I ran another half marathon. And in between those two dates, and I had been doing training in between, Mm. in between those two dates, I gained 20 pounds. Oh my God. I'm eating berries for breakfast and carrots and kale for lunch. And I'm running like all this mileage and I'm not in control. Yeah. And that feeling of not having any control and having these things. And then doctors would look at me and say, well, yeah, people on Tamoxifen put on weight. And I was like, I can't be 40 pounds overweight, not able to move my own body. Right. Teaching people how to move their body. (laughs) This isn't a thing that I can have happen. My oncologist told me when I went on my aromatase inhibitor, he told me the side effects and he said, I hate to tell you, but you can exercise all you want and eat, you know, boiled chicken and lettuce every day. And you're going to, you're not going to be able to lose weight. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is like all piled on to me in my mid forties already. When I already know that this is the hard part of my female existence. It just sucks because people would be like, oh, you look fine. I, I know I'm not overweight, but I can see it in the pictures. I can feel it in my, in my jeans and my pants. Nothing fits well like it used to. It's just, ugh. yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely understand. And I was in this place where like I do a lot of heart rate training and I'm watching my heart rate. Like mm-hmm. just spike, like I would go out for a run and I would walk more than I would run and I'd be in the red zone the entire time. Yeah. Like this can't be okay for my body. Like this can't be okay. No. This is not normal. It's not normal. Something you definitely don't know about at all. Well, and the brain fog for me was was very curious because I was aware that I wasn't able to do certain things the way that I had been able to do them previously, but I wasn't aware that it was because of the fog in my brain. It became really clear to me this past spring because two years ago is when my brain fog was at its height and that was the last season of Game of Thrones and then we had a year (laughs) off And we were watching an episode, like a really iconic, like major episode where one of the characters had done something extreme to like tons of people. And I was watching it this spring before the new season started. And I was like, I don't remember this. Oh, wow. And my husband was like, what what do you mean you don't remember this? And I was like, nothing about this scene is familiar. Wow. I don't remember this. And then he was like, that's crazy. And we went back to watching and I'm thinking to myself, I need to go back and watch the whole last season again because I just don't remember anything. And then the next episode came on and I was like, I, I don't remember this either. Oh, wow. And I started thinking about it and I said, you know, this was at like the height of my brain fog. I just clearly had no short-term, long-term memory happening. Wow. And it's one of those things that is just not talked about. And then our performance starts to take a ding here and there. Mm -hmm. And then that adds more to how, you know, how we feel. We, We look in the mirror and we don't see what we saw before. And I had a very similar situation to you where people would say, oh, you look so good. 
And meanwhile, I'd be thinking, yeah, I've changed my clothes four times because I've sweat through three outfits. Oh my God. (laughs) The sweating, the sweating. Oh my God. I, when I take a shower, I, I try to take as cold of a shower as I can. I still get out and I'm, I'm sitting there sweating as I'm getting ready. I have to stand in front of a fan and literally like cool myself down. And then I'm still just, oh, so much sweat all the time. Yes. And my hair, because my hair is curly, can't really tell because mm-hmm. I have it pulled up. And I have it pulled up because it was too hot on the back of my neck. So I pulled it up to let it dry because I was sweating. Oh, yeah. I had six inches cut off of my hair a couple months ago. And I got a Brazilian blowout because I have natural curl too. And I knew that if I at least had that, it would cut my drying time in half. And so I basically just straightened my hair every day and put it back in a ponytail. The only reason I'm talking to you now with it down is because I was feeling vain. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. And that's really why the title of this podcast has the tagline, because surviving is just the beginning. Getting through the treatment, you're just the hamster in the wheel at that point. Pretty much. You're on the conveyor belt and they're handing you things as you go by. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's really a a challenging situation. And there's so many like the sweating. Yeah. Nobody told you about the sweating. No, no one tells you about that. And I had tried the Lupron because I'm not technically in menopause. So I only qualified for the tamoxifen. I'm allergic to the tamoxifen. There is no other option other than to do Lupron. And I was like, I can't sleep. I am waking up every hour in a cold sweat. I have to be able to sleep. Yeah. There's, if these are the only options, then I'm, I'm going to have to decline. I have to be able to sleep. I hear you. I take medication to help me sleep and I still wake up a couple times a night. Yeah sweating or have to pee. And I definitely had huge issues with fluid. So then during the night, I'd be up many times processing out the fluid that my body was just holding on to, which is crazy. And it really became clear to me that my head, my heart and my body, my physical body were just not on the same page after my treatment. That's true. I never thought about that. Absolutely. My heart wanted me to be where I was before. My body was like, hey, I've been through a thing over here. And my Mm -hmm. head was like, I can't reconcile the two. Yeah. One of the things that happened to me when I got diagnosed is I was just about to be nominated to be my school's PTO president. And I called the gal that was running as the vice and I said, should I drop out? I'm, I mean, I'm going to have breast cancer surgery this summer. And she's like, she's like, we'll figure it out. It'll be okay. And then I thought to myself, oh, I'll be fine or whatever. And I actually, last year, while I was going through the breast cancer, the hysterectomy, the radiation, PTO president, I was on two nonprofit boards, full client load. Like I didn't get rid of clients or anything like that. And I was so busy and everybody's like, I can't believe you've been able to go through all of this and you you've done everything. And part of the reason I think I did it was to keep myself busy so I wouldn't think about it because I work at home by myself. So I can only imagine what it would be like if I sat at home with my thoughts going through this process. So to be so busy, I was always on the go and everything. And then this year, I mean, the school year's over and I'm, I'm at this place now where I'm busy with my clients, but I 
have lessened my load on some other things. It's probably a good thing because now I do need to focus better on my health and my mindset because you can't just ignore that stuff. It's going to come back to you or it's going to come back and it's going to really like do some damage if you don't if you don't focus on it. So I almost feel like this new year is working on the inside for me than worrying about the outside because the inside is harder to get through than the outside part. I think that's a great lesson learned as well because we do have to take that step back. And I also am a person who's used to being able to get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I have come to realize that my will to get things done doesn't always match my energy available to actually do the things. Yes. <laughs> it's hard. I too got to a point where I was like, all right, I just need to scale back. I totally have to scale back. I mean, I, I have to scale back for myself, for my sanity. Yeah. And I think it definitely helps put us in a place where we can then move forward with the things that are the most important. Absolutely. Yeah. I need to be here for my husband and my kids. I'm, I'm thinking about that more and more and realizing how important it is. Every story you had mentioned earlier about different people and in your life, I really feel so strongly that every story is so significant. And I also have lost some people in the last couple of years along my journey. And that's really hard. At the same time, I I'm so passionate about sharing survivor stories because there are so many amazing people that are on this journey. I think as much as we sometimes feel alone in that journey, I think sharing your story and the different stories that I've shared through the podcast, I think it can help other people see the hope. Right. Absolutely. I mean, people tell me that I inspire them and they admire my positivity through all of this. And that is something also that I really believe people notice is your positive attitude about this. I've never been a negative Nelly about things. I, I'm going to complain when I'm not feeling so well. I'm going to bitch about the shitty part of having breast cancer, but having a positive outlook so important. I don't know if you're in any of those Facebook breast cancer groups, but there can be some pretty negative people. I truly believe that if you live a negative life, then negative things are going to happen to you. And you have to look at the glasses half full sometimes. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not a realist because I am a realist, but being positive about this journey is going to help you go down the road. And I feel like some of the people who have been afraid to talk about their breast cancer diagnosis and and say, oh, I would never announce it on social media, I only tell a few people, is sometimes I feel like that may sometimes set you back. That may make things a little harder for you to get through because you don't have that support system. And in the end, people want the best for you. People want you to succeed. People want you to get healthy again. And to have that encouragement, I think, is is a good thing. And for you to sit there and just feel bad about yourself. I've been lucky. I ended up having a low onco score. So I didn't need the chemo. And that was something I didn't know about either. Back in the day, everybody had to have chemo. I somehow lucked out. I got a little shamed in one of my groups because I posted that I was so happy because when I found out my onco scores that I would only need radiation, I started out saying I get to keep my hair. And for me, I was really happy about that. And I was told that 
shame on me for bragging to other people that I get to keep my hair and I don't have to get chemo. I felt horrible for a while there. Like I didn't want to post up anything. I didn't want to talk about anything. I still feel kind of bad that I did it because people like literally messaged me and said, I can't believe that you would sit there and share that you get to keep your hair when there's other people who are, are losing theirs right now and going through this fight. And how dare you act like that? It made me feel horrible. It was like, so when do I get to be happy and share my wins? Like everybody else could share their wins about they finished chemo or they're five years cancer free. But if I share something, then I should feel shame for it. So it's, it's interesting that whole, the whole community sometimes too. Yeah. Communication is such an interesting, interesting thing. I had, and I've talked about this before. I had a week, it was probably sometime last September. So I was out of my treatment, active treatment for a while. I had only been off the medication for a couple of months. And in the space of a week, I had two different people question how I walked my journey. One said no one would root for me. (gasps) My, story wasn't compelling enough for her. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which I came to find out why that was later. I I connected the dots on my own. I I tell my story from a place of humor. I don't tell my story from a place of sadness. Right. She was looking for stories that made people cry. Oh, wow. That's okay. That's what she was looking for. That's not me. I'm not a fit for that. It was interesting because in the same week, Another survivor had questioned if I had enough sadness really? in my story, which I normally would have just said, no, I, that wasn't true for me. Like I didn't feel a lot of sadness. I felt confident from the beginning that I was going to be okay. I just, mm-hmm. I had an internal knowing that I was going to be okay. And I had to do a thing mm-hmm. and I was going to do right. a thing and I was going to share and I was going to like you do the PSA to do the, because it was found in a routine screening mammogram. It was otherwise missed by right. everyone else. And it was really interesting because I was like, huh, two people have inferred that maybe I did it wrong. Yeah, that's very weird. Let me think about that. And I, I did, I sat with it and I thought about it. And then I just came to the conclusion that no, I did it fine for me. I did it the way that I was supposed to do it at the time that I did it. I always tell people, however you did it was the right way. Right. It doesn't mean it's not going to trigger other people. No, I know. And I'm, I'm slowly learning that I, I can't make everybody happy, obviously in life in general. This is my journey. So deal with it. But I remember after that woman like scolded me in a private message, I posted something like a day or two later and I said, what did I say? I said something on social media about, you know, God, I can't remember what it was or whatever, but I basically just said, I'm sorry if I'm oversharing and I hope that people don't think that I'm looking for attention and all this kind of stuff. And I had so many people reach out to me saying, Charlotte, like you inspired me to get a mammogram. Charlotte, I love that you're sharing this stuff about, I never knew these things about breast cancer. Charlotte, you know, you're, you're being positive about this. More people need to look at it in a positive manner. So, you know, there's always going to be those naysayers and there's always going to be the negative Nellies. And 
I won't apologize for being positive and trying to inspire others because people need that. I needed that when I found out my diagnosis. They inspired me and I want to pass it on. Yeah. And celebrating our wins is super important. And everyone has wins at different times and about different things. I went to a sum total of one support group meeting and it was right before I had my reconstruction, but I was pretty much through most of my treatment. The thing that struck me about that meeting was that everyone was telling their story. There were a number of people, for the most part, people were really unhappy. And the people that were facilitating the group didn't step in to help them manage that situation. They facilitated them telling their story, but they didn't facilitate them getting through their story. Oh. It didn't facilitate them finding a happier place on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I remember leaving that meeting that night. Okay, I don't need to come back here. I'm squared away. Yeah. It was interesting. It was really interesting situation. I hear ya. Yeah, I haven't even thought of going to support groups or anything like that. I feel like maybe not necessarily a support group, but I feel like I definitely should probably go to a therapist and just talk about the stuff that's going on with me internally. I don't know. The support groups, at least what I've seen online, which because I'm on social media all the time, there are some people who are very inspiring and there's some folks that just bring down the room. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's very interesting. We all bring our perspective and everyone's perspective kind of shades their view. Absolutely. And when we bring a positive perspective and we try to find the positive, the person who wants to bring the negative perspective is just going to be negative. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) I can't change other people. No. I have to remember that. I can, I can only change my internal message to myself, but I can't change other people. Absolutely. It is definitely a journey and it's a journey that gives us different and new challenges every day, even when we think it should be over. Absolutely. And it's not over anytime soon. It is not. It is definitely not. So thank you so, so very much for being here and chatting with me today. Thank you. I hope I could give some good information and share my story. I love hearing positive stories. It's amazing how much we all share in common. Absolutely. We all have a lot more in common than we think. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It never ceases to amaze me how different yet similar our experiences can be. Charlotte commented on her observations of those who share versus those who don't. I want to explore this as this week's Personal Consciousness Minute. This is such a curious topic. On one level, there are extroverts who may be more comfortable sharing and introverts who are less so. Yet, I too have found this in people I've met. I openly share my story and in my sharing of my story in an open manner, even those who are more introverted yet have processed their experience in a healing manner, whatever that was for them, always seem open to sharing their experiences. I've noticed that those people who've done this processing also in most cases are okay with the term survivor. Again, regardless of whether they feel like they fought a fight or did a thing. That word does not come across as off-putting. It's just a common word associated with cancer patients on the other side of treatment. 
It's always interesting to me, those people who sometimes years after their treatments concluded, who are doing really well and are in remission or cancer-free, have such a strong response to the word survivor and often are opposed to discussing their journey at all. And this may seem a little controversial, and I'm in no way passing judgment here. I really am interested in understanding this divide. This week, I would love for everyone to come over to the Cancer Cliff Notes Facebook group and share your thoughts on this. Does the term survivor resonate? And if not, why? The researcher in me is really curious to hear your answers. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thank you.